Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand, post-free agency edition. Here to talk about plenty of recent... Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't say hi to you guys. Hi, Ben. Hi, Mike. You guys are waiting. Hi, Andrew. Good to see you. Good to see you again. Uh, and thank you, listeners, for checking back in with us as we're going to talk and recap Vikings free agency. We'll talk about recent conversations with Michael Pierce, with Mike Zimmer, uh, what we took away from those. Um, we'll get into plenty of draft stuff here next week. We'll have uh, four episodes leading up to draft week, so we'll have a lot uh, for you guys there later this month. So this will focus mostly on the fallout of free agency, a Vikings secondary that's in flux, um, Jeff Gladney's arrest. There's a lot to get to, but we just spoke. The, the local media did anyway with uh, Michael Pierce uh, for the first time since he opted out. Ben, I think the last time we spoke to him was when you talked to him right after he made that decision to opt out. There's a lot to get to with him, but what was your initial takeaway from, from talking to the Vikings prized free agent signing from a year ago? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting to hear him talk. I think about how much of a, a connection he feels to Andre Patterson and Marge Albury already. I mean, he talked a lot about kind of staying in contact with them through the season and how even during free agency, he said that the Dalvin Tomlinson thing didn't throw me for a loop because I knew we were going to go after him and I knew what the plan was for him um, not to have him take my spot, basically. Then they're going to make him the three-technique tackle. So I thought that was interesting, and I thought it was – I mean, just the degree to which he sort of followed through, at least, you know, said he did on – all of the stuff that he talked about last July. I remember when I talked to him, he said he was going to get a nutritionist and really attack getting in shape. I mean, weight has been an issue for him throughout his career. It's it's part of the reason he is a nose tackle because he's a big dude, but he also has had trouble managing that. And he talked about getting a nutritionist or getting a personal chef like Andre Patterson wanted him to do. He talked about doing squat-tober, doing powerlifting, CrossFit, uh, riding his Peloton every Sunday morning. So, I mean, he was doing a lot of different I and mean, a lot of very trendy workouts, I guess, but didn't get the tonal from Kyle Rudolph. But uh, short of that, he did just about all of the, the trendy at-home ones. So, um, yeah, it was interesting to hear kind of the way he approached it. And it seemed they got a poodle. He learned a song on the piano. So a lot of, lot of stuff going on with Michael Pierce down in Alabama during his, uh, his year in the opt-out. Did he have a sourdough starter? Did we did we get that too? Did he did he make? A... <laughs> I didn't hear about that. And what was the other? Uh, trying to think of the other. I mean, he didn't like. Uh, well, I tried learning a new instrument, which I suppose is a, a very quarantine chic thing to do. Back when we all thought this was going to be a cute little three week um, shutdown last March, but uh, yeah, got the pet, uh, learned the instrument, got a Peloton. Yeah, he, he has sauna at home too, I think. So, um, yeah, he, he covered a lot of ground. Pretty much a quarantine bingo. Pretty much. <laughs> and the most important thing I suppose for Vikings fans to know is, I mean, he's in, in, in uh, the team headquarters today. Uh, and that was mainly just, he said to get checked up on with the trainers for everybody in the team to kind of, uh, go through the medical stuff, have him work out in front of the team. He said he's weighing 341 pounds, which he says is light for him. Um, and that he would like to be maybe around 335 when the season starts, but he's got plenty of time to get there. 
um, picked up CrossFit, all this stuff. He basically wanted to show the team, hey, I, I didn't just kind of waste this time off in terms of athletically. But we don't know if he's going to be there for voluntary workouts. We don't know if any of the Vikings are. He said he's going to follow the team's lead in terms of the locker room. Say, hey, I'm new here. Uh, I'm going to follow the veterans that have been here a while and kind of figure out what the team wants to do. Um, so that's that's one of the interesting things that's going around the league because the Lions today, I believe, came together and submitted a statement to the NFLPA saying they're not going to show up. That follows the Broncos, the Seahawks. I think there's another team Buccaneers. in there too. Thank you. Yeah, the Buccaneers. Um, so I, that's just one of the more um, – that's one of the biggest storylines kind of going into this offseason because we heard so much from Mike Zimmer and the Vikings coaching staff about how, boy, if we had just had OTAs, it would have been a lot better last year and how all these coaches around the league really want these guys to get back. And the players are saying, we didn't need it last year. We were just fine around the league and saying, why do we need to do this again? So I guess, Ben, that's something we're going to have to monitor too and seeing if the Vikings kind of join this growing list of teams that are saying, we're not going to show up. I'm really curious about the internal dynamics of all of this because it's certainly for players like, and I believe Eric Kendricks is the Vikings uh, NFLPA lead rep. Um, for players that are established, for players like Harrison Smith or Kirk Cousins, there's not a lot to be gained from showing up to those things. Your spot is secure. You're not trying to prove anything to anybody, really. But for young players, for a guy like Michael Pierce that didn't play last season, that really, well, for him, effectively, he can be cut next year and the team would save money. And he's already 29 years old, so... It is, this is more of a prove it season for him than you would think for a guy that signed a three year deal that averages nine million dollars a season. So you have a lot of guys that I think would benefit from showing up to off season programs and trying to build a little bit of equity with the coaching staff, get the time on the field, get the instruction, uh, you know, to try to keep themselves in the team's plans for the long term. But you also have the union saying, hey, we did this last year. We don't need to do it again. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy your offseason. Protect your bodies a little bit more. It's, so it's it's a weird spot for a guy like Michael Pierce to be in. And when I asked that question, I, I sort of thought that's how he would answer it. But I was just curious because he seems so excited to be at the facility and excited to be back in the, in the team mix. But he's also hearing from the NFLPA and – kind of the precedent they are trying to set that last year doesn't mean that we need to be back here. So um, for guys like that, I think it's an interesting spot to be in because you, you have reasons, I think, on either side to um, kind of go along with what people are telling you to do. Yeah, Mike, I think we see, I see some former players on social media saying fans don't even know what we do uh, April through June. This doesn't matter. Why are fans getting upset? I think you're seeing um, – at least I've seen some fans and, and uh, people just wanting to see their team show up, do the work, try to get better, all those things. Um, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on the whole situation league-wide. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. It's, it's I mean, like a lot of things that happen in sports, and it's it's kind of more, I think it's 10% about getting better and 90% about kind of having a certain measure of control over these players and, you know, keeping them, you know, getting to see them a little bit more, key kind of, you know, messaging to them, you know, stay in shape in the offseason, things like that. I think the teams probably worry more about, you know, these players, you know, either getting out of shape or not, you know, coming to, coming to camp in July and not, you know, not being ready to go versus the 
massive benefits of, of what happens in, in April, May, and, and June in these kind of OTAs. So I'm just, what I would, would imagine is maybe there's eventually some kind of middle ground where, you know, the, the, the players are kind of standing firm right now and saying, we don't really need to do this. And, you know, teams are saying, well, it would be, it's nice when we have you here. We do work on things. Maybe, maybe what ends up coming of it eventually is some sort of reduction in the number of these things because they, they feel like they have swelled over the years to, to a point where, you know, a player probably feels like, you know, what, what, what is the off season? When, when, when is my time my own? Um, so maybe the ultimate, you know, 22, 23, 24 and beyond that becomes, you know, some sort of negotiated down, downsizing of, of all this off season activity and, and less of, uh, less of what we see right now. You know, it's interesting because it, it was already negotiated down in 2011 from where it was. I mean, that, that off season program used to be something that would start in like March or you know, even maybe a little bit later in March, early April. You know, you had people talk about, you know, the, I, I remember with the Packers, it was the quarterback school they used to do that was kind of instrumental in getting Aaron Rodgers from looking like he might be a bust to being ready to be their guy. And, you know, we've heard Mike Zimmer talk about this over the years too, that coaches don't like the fact that it's been reduced to what it has. So for it now to be potentially reduced even further, I'm sure is grading on, especially old school guys like Mike Zimmer that think, Everything is better when it's practiced and repped on the field. But I, I'm sure for players too, it's okay. You, you added a 17th game now. You are asking us to put more onto our bodies and, and you can say there's going to be one less preseason game. That doesn't matter for starting players because they play so little in the preseason anyway. You're, you're now saying your preseason reps have been traded for another week where you have to play 65 reps and they are high stakes. And you have to get your body ready to go rather than having a preseason game to kind of take it a little bit lighter if you have a nagging injury. So I'm sure some of it for players is, okay, you got what you want. You got your chip here. You got what you wanted. Now give us something back to help keep us in shape so that the ratings and the quality of play doesn't suffer for all of the money you're trying to get out of us from a longer regular season and more playoff games. Yeah, and if you listen to some veteran players last year, we heard – Vikings veterans saying less preseason games means more work, actually. I mean, you don't think about it that way. You think, oh, you know, one fewer game, you don't have to show up. I remember Kyle Rudolph saying last year, look, that was like uh, an additional preseason game was like seven reps for us, a series or two. That's like a day off. And actually, it's three days off because we get the day before, the day after off. He said that was replaced by three straight practices and then another three straight practices. And you just, it's not the same kind of um, schedule that they were used to, and it and it does include more off-season work. So if you're taking a preseason game off, another part of those negotiations is, well, you're getting more practices in August. Why do we need to show up for these ones where we're not even allowed to hit anybody and not even really allowed to do anything but kind of walk through the motions? Um, yeah, and, and as you guys mentioned too, it's all part of just a broader negotiation tactic of putting things on the table and taking them off. And once something was taken off the table in terms of voluntary workouts last year, the players are like, why do we need to just put it back on just because you say so? And, and just because you say everybody should be vaccinated at that point when they don't know yet. And players are still getting vaccinated. Uh, as Michael Pierce said, he is. Um, but that doesn't guarantee the rest of the Vikings locker room is at this point. Um, for Vikings-wise, though, this spring, at least how the coaches would have you believe, is going to be pretty beneficial for them if they can get the players on the field. I want to go back two weeks ago to a, a press conference Mike Zimmer gave, his only one, 
uh, since his season-ending press conference, where he had talked about, we need to change a little bit defensively, schematically. It's not just personnel. It's not just bringing in Patrick Peterson, Dalvin Tomlinson. Um, he feels like they need to adjust the way they're doing things. And one quote uh, I wanted to read off was him saying, we want to play fast. We want to play physical. We don't want to be thinking. Offenses lately have been getting us to think because we've had we've had to adjust here and there, do this or that, and some of these things we've talked about, and it's just too hard to implement during the season. And so part of that is that if we have more offseason time, we can implement these things. Another part is Zimmer saying maybe we can pull back on kind of what we're doing defensively and change some things to make it easy on these younger guys because even though you added Patrick Peterson, Mike, this is still a very young defensive roster that they've got. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think you saw last year, you know, that there was a certain amount of struggle probably because there wasn't that, that rep time and that lead up time that the defense, I don't think got a whole lot better, but you can kind of, it was kind of an arc, right? Like the first five or six games, the defense was really bad. Then it felt like it was getting better in the middle of the season when they won some of those games and they were making a little bit of a push to, you know, what looked like it could be a, you know, maybe a, an outside chance at the playoffs. And then, you know, you, you piled up a couple more injuries, Eric Kendricks in particular, and they just couldn't withstand it. But, you know, I, I think there probably is something to it, especially for younger teams or even not even just younger teams, but teams that have that lack a little bit of continuity. And the Vikings have both, right? They have some young players that they're counting on and they have new players that they want to get into their system. So, you know, I think there's definitely going to be teams that benefit more or less from, a certain amount of work and I could see where the Vikings would benefit more. But, you know, I think Andrew, your point was a good one. I haven't really, I didn't really thought about how there's more work actually, if you have fewer preseason games, because it means more practices in, in August, uh, as opposed to, you know, kind of those days off surrounding a very light workload on game day. So, you know, it's, it's a lot to weigh. I, I think ultimately it's all negotiation and it's all, you know, none of it is going to have, you know, a, a more than two or three percent like measured effect on what you see in a season really it's going to come down to talent and in-game coaching and adjusting and things like that but it it, it does it does make for some interesting uh negotiation points for sure something else to talk about in the middle of the offseason which the nfl loves to create i mean i i part of me thinks they don't entirely mind this being a controversy because people are still talking about the nfl in April. I mean, certainly the draft is coming up and <laughs> people are intrigued about that, but it, it creates another piece of content for the league and its broadcast arm. And, and so as I'm, far I'm as, con- sure mind that. and as far as controversies go, it's very benign, <laughs> right? It's not like, yes, a, it is. It's pretty know, inside. Yeah. Pretty niche. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's, there's plenty else that we can get to as well. It's just, it's one of those things that's going to keep dragging on. And for the Vikings, they call it, every team calls them voluntary workouts, but, um, when you've got certain guys who are p- potentially going to lose their jobs if they don't show up or they've got workout bonuses, I think, Ben, you pointed out it's almost a million dollars that that upwards of however many players have tied into just being there. So it's yep. not voluntary if you've got a paycheck tied to it. It's not as much with the Vikings, really, as I think it's been in previous years, and it's not as much as some teams have. I, I think you know, Packers, I think, are like they have more than $5 million of compensation throughout the roster tied to off-season workout bonuses. So a lot of teams have used these as a carrot to get players to show up. And, you know, $100,000 is $100,000. It's hard to sit here and, and sneeze at it for the, for the rest of the, the general public that that's, you know, a year's salary for a lot of people or, or more than that. But, you know, for a lot of players, I don't know that 
it makes a huge difference when it's that type of amount as opposed to five million dollars or something like that, or at least you know a million dollars or you know whatever you'd have. It's probably a little bit different than that. I think I saw Bruce Arians though over in Tampa Bay come out and say that well one of the reasons why the NFLPA wants everybody to be on the same page is they know that rookies can't take jobs if they're not there. If if these workouts aren't happening, the veterans are trying to get everybody on board because they know. Um, if just the rookies show up or just second or third year guys who are gunning for some of these positions, um, yeah, it just makes it a whole lot harder for the players. So that's obviously why you see Michael Pierce today say, I'm going to follow the Vikings leadership's lead and guys like Kendricks, Barr, um, guys that have been there a long time. And, and that the PA is kind of telling them, make sure you're kind of doing this on the same page too, because it's, it's useful. Um, we should talk about the Vikings secondary too, before we get into some, um, some Twitter questions from you guys that we answer in every episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Um, since we've last done a show, though, we have seen the Vikings sign Xavier Woods, former Cowboys safety, um, presumably going to be stepping into a starting role opposite Harrison Smith now that Anthony Harris has signed with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, they also brought back Mackenzie Alexander, and that happened just a week before Jeff Gladney got arrested um, and charges have not officially been filed yet, but it's reported that he assaulted his girlfriend. And so all those things have to come to light and see what the NFL, what the Vikings, and, and kind of where they decide to go with their former first-round picks future. Um, but that throws, football-wise, just speaking about football, that throws a wrench in their plans even more, understanding that, hey, they brought Patrick Peterson in thinking, and Mackenzie Alexander, thinking that they were going to have Jeff Gladden. Now we don't know. We don't know if he's going to be playing football in 2021 beyond and what um, he's going to be able to do if he's even going to be free, uh, depending. Because I think a Dallas TV station had reported that the potential charges he's facing could be jail time. And so with all that said, um, it was quite the coincidence that they bring back their former slot corner. We're just talking about football a week before that happens. And the Vikings are going to now maybe have to rely on a guy like Mackenzie Alexander quite a bit. Um, Ben, what, what you did the reporting on McKenzie coming back, Xavier Woods joining this secondary, um, just kind of where do they go from here, um, in terms of the guys they brought in and they know they're going to have. Yeah. Alexander was interesting because they had offered him a deal fairly early in free agency. And obviously it's a, it's a vet minimum deal. So it's not earth shattering, but it was interesting to know that they were looking at that as early as they were, which tells you that they were not happy with the depth they had last year. It was you know, certainly adding a guy like Patrick Peterson is a more significant move, but they wanted to keep adding to this group because they want guys they know they can trust. And Jeff Gladney, independent of the off-field stuff, struggled quite a bit last year. So I don't think that he goes into year two with anything necessarily guaranteed to him. I certainly think he's still in their plans, but he's going to have to – be better this year than he was last year, especially when you're playing for coaches and a front office that probably needs to win to keep itself in good standing. So it was, I, I thought it was interesting that, that they did that. And it was also interesting from the perspective that Mackenzie Alexander, when he left here was not in any shape or form interested in staying. He was ready to go. He had had a rocky relationship with the team through his four years and certainly it did not end positively. He had played in that last game of the regular season against the Bears where they rested a lot of starters and he thought he should have been in that group. I think he thought he had 
earned the right to not play in that game. Obviously, it's not like a preseason game. You don't have a 90-man roster, so you have to play somebody. Well, he plays in that game, had a knee injury already, and gets hurt worse, ends up having surgery, missing their two playoff games, which is obviously a chance to play on national TV, play on a big stage, showcase yourself before free agency. He was not happy about how all of that went. So that added to kind of, like I say, a rocky relationship that had had developed over the years anyway. And obviously either time heals all wounds or you need a job and it's a team that will pay you to have a job this season. Those things are certainly probably part of it, but just given where it ended after 2019 to where we are now is, uh, is quite a change. Yes, Mike, do you, it's hard to say you'd feel better about where the Vikings secondary is at at this point, but in terms of the pieces they brought in and then finishing that off with Xavier Woods and Mackenzie Alexander, it would seem to me now the Gladney thing changes a lot, but it seems to me that the Vikings are saying, yeah, we need veteran guys to come in here now. We can't be doing raising the young pups to try to defend Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Now this is the kind of move. I mean, they've made three of the kinds of moves that I thought they needed to make one or two of last year when they had so much, youth in the secondary um, and they were really relying on you know last year Gladney and Dantzler you know and even some of those other you know, Chris Boyd ended up being you know a piece of a piece of that as well so you know I, I I do think that's 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 a good thing I think you know Mike Zimmer tends to like his veterans anyway guys he can trust guys he knows know the system and you know Alexander feels like a signing where we've seen a few of these types of signings this year in particular where you know the cap is down Guys taking one year deals to, to try to, you know, maybe get back into that point where they could then go and get, you know, a two or three year deal beyond this at, at a little bit of bigger money once the cap starts going up again, once the TV cash really starts to hit and when, maybe once they put a good year on tape. That said, you know, this is a little bit of a tangent from where we are right now, not too far since it involves Anthony Harris, but you know, I, I was surprised, you know, based on, what we had thought going into free agency at what the number ended up being on Harris and especially Eric Wilson um, in terms of like those one year kind of lower price deals. If you would have told me Anthony Harris was 5 million and Eric Wilson was like three and a half, something like that, not even that much. Was that the number that, that was reported for Eric Wilson and his deal? Like I would have said, well, why don't you keep those guys and, and see if they can, you know, see if you can have a good year with, with them in Minnesota. Maybe, you know, free agency works both ways, but I, it, you know, maybe they wanted to go somewhere else and try something new, but those numbers surprised me. And I guess it kind of works both ways this year. Yeah. I'd, I'd heard they'd wanted to bring back Anthony Harris and, and it was reported that they were making a late push for him. And that was true to, to what I understand until he signed that one year, $5 million deal. And I'd have to imagine, I don't know this exactly, but reading between the lines, it would seem the Vikings didn't make that kind of offer. The offer they were making to him was lower. And you got to understand too, that fans have to understand that when you see that $5 million, I think the most important thing to Anthony is the one before it. It's the one year. It's like you said, they want to have a short term deal so they can jump back into the money potentially next year. They're not that much older. Maybe they're coming off a better year. Um, you see teams like the Vikings might want to offer, no, stay for two, three years. And you, they want to kind of give that team control for what may look like more money, but over the course of years, when you divide it up per year, it's just not as much. And especially when you have, you're, an, you're an athlete, you think you can capitalize on and bet on yourself the way that those two guys are doing. Um, I don't think that was the most money Anthony Harris was offered in free agency or even by the Vikings. I just think it was the most money he was offered for one year. And he understands that now he can make that jump 
if he has a good year in Philadelphia. And I think the same goes for Eric Wilson. I haven't been able to do um, or figure out much on his situation, but the Vikings clearly had made a decision. When Rick Spielman spoke back in March, the clearest thing he said was, um, we're not going to be able to afford to keep three high-priced linebackers. You wouldn't think three and a half million is high price for a linebacker, but the Vikings clearly thought so. They clearly thought that they can bring Troy Dye. They can bring some of these guys along. And Nick Vigil for $1 million. Um, that's, that's cheap in the NFL. That is cheap help. And that's what they were looking for to in order to sign a Patrick Peterson for $8 million, to sign Dalvin Tomlinson for all they signed him for. Um, they just weren't going to allocate the dollars to that position at linebacker to keep Wilson. And I have no idea if they made him an offer at all, um, but I know they wanted to keep Anthony and it just didn't work out. And clearly it's because the money wasn't there. I, w- I did find it interesting that across the league, though, you see these guys sign for for a little less than you would have thought. I mean, even Kyle Rudolph, I know he got a pretty good deal from New York, but you would have to imagine in a different year, his market would be a little bit more robust. I don't know. Ben, what did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, and a lot of these deals take on an interesting form, too. I'm just looking up Eric Wilson's deal. Um, it's a one-year deal for $2.75 million, but the Eagles did the same thing that a lot of these teams have done with the void years. They, they put four years in there of, of void money because they, they were in bad cap shape, too. But essentially what that does is it allows them to – um, well, I, what does this allow them to do? Cause they didn't give them a signing bonus. I don't quite know what the point of the void years was given the fact that he didn't get a signing bonus, unless this is the database I'm looking at, unless that's wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen teams do that sort of, sort of a thing with the, you know, the Vikings did it with Dalvin Tomlinson adding the void years to it. Uh, Anthony Barr got some of that when they redid his deal. So it's been a lot of these tricks to try to get around the the cap situation that everybody's in. I think it's, yeah, I mean, things are down this year. Everybody's counting on it going back up. I don't think it's going to be the kind of thing where, okay, the new TV money's here. It's going to go up by $40 million next year. Everybody that's sort of assuming that is, I don't think right on that. I don't think they're paying attention to how the NFL has typically allocated new money to its cap. They like to have it smooth out over the years. And they also, are uh, making up for the fact that they would have, if they had let the cap go to where it should have gone, given the revenue, they it would have been down even further. And that would have been e- even more catastrophic for teams trying to build a roster than it probably already was. So I don't think all of that new money is going to hit after this year, but you have a lot of players, I think, that said, it can't be worse than this. So let's try to make the best of it and get back into the market in a year. Yeah, and you guys brought up the 17th game earlier. That also happened since we last recorded a podcast. The Vikings are going to be playing. Is it at L.A., Ben, or Mike? Do you guys remember? Chargers, yes. yeah. At, at, at the Chargers at, for the second time in three years. So, hey, that's not a bad road trip for a 17th game, right? Put it in December, NFL, please, or January. <laughs> we're going way late into January now. For any fans that maybe if you're going to be able to travel uh, in 2021, yeah, this fall, that's not a bad destination to, to have added to the schedule. Mike, what did you think about the 17th game? I know it's kind of a foregone conclusion since owners came out in December and said they wanted to do it. But uh, what do you think about a 17-game regular season? It's just, you know, the one thing about it that kind of stood out to me is just how weird it is to have an odd number of games. And, it's, you know, it's probably the 
the it's probably the precursor to you take half of the step you want to take and it's probably going to be 18 games within five years i would think you know you, you add to, you go to 17 and then you know eventually you get to 18 because you know the, the 17 gives you the imbalance right you're going to have you're going to have a home away imbalance you're going to have kind of this you know kind of the scheduling imbalance you know any any kind of uh you know, the record book is going to be altered a little bit now because, you know, you got these 16 game records, you go into 17 games. Now, what does that mean? So, you know, it's, it's really only lengthening your season by like, you know, a little over 5%. So I, I kind of, I'm not a player. So I, I obviously, you know, look, you know, people can't see me, look at me, obviously, but you know, it's, it's more, you know, the wear and tear angle on it, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to it, but it doesn't feel like it's a huge jump in, volume you know going to 18 games and all of a sudden you know you're talking about close to 10 percent of a whole season changing you know if you did you've added 10 percent to a baseball season you'd be adding like 16 games that feels like a lot so nfl maybe the small volume overall makes it feel less significant it just to me the bigger thing is just that the weirdness I, i i cannot find a single example of a major league in the u.s you know nhl nba NFL, Major League Baseball, ever having a schedule deliberately have an odd number of games. And it's because it doesn't really work out math-wise. There, there's always going to be a team with an advantage when you go that way. Yeah, it does feel like a baby step. I, I mean, just, you know, speculating, I would imagine the NFL owners, they want more of that gate revenue, more of those games that matter, more the, more games that matter to sell for TV rights, too, specifically, and trying to get those in there. But we'll see what happens beyond the 17 game schedule because they could do the same thing in a year or two from now where they just say, all right, now it's two preseason games and then 18 regular season games. We'll see where they end up with all that, but let's take some Twitter questions. Now um, we got a few good ones here. As always, you can send them to my Twitter account at Andrew underscore Kramer. It's K R A M M E R one from Steezo. Steezo wants to know, do you guys think the Vikings add any more free agents before the draft? Um, Ben, is free agency over for the Minnesota Vikings? I don't know that it's over. I mean, I think it's it's certainly possible they could make another move here before the draft. But the the thing I wonder is with the tackles, if they try to go out and get a guy like Mitchell Schwartz or Eric Fisher, some of these guys that have been injured and are rehabbing, remember they are going to have more money available to them in June once Kyle Rudolph's June post June 1st cut hits the cap. So they'll have another like almost $8 million available to them at that point. So if there's a player like that, that they want to add, that is an accomplished player and they can make a run out around the time that that player is ready to sign with somebody anyway, or go work out for somebody that may be another alternative. So I could see the other moves being something after the draft too, but yeah, it's certainly possible that they could do some other things beforehand. Yeah, because there's a lot of big names. I mean, you brought up Mitchell Schwartz. You brought up um, Eric Fisher, those two Chiefs tackles. But, I mean, you've got other guys that are supposedly on the block, too, that, that could be available for trades, you know, draft day trades. Last year, Trent Williams got dealt during the draft. Um, so that's always a possibility that things happen on draft day, too, as the Vikings are known to move around a little bit. Um Mike, here's one for you. Paul asks, any chance Teddy Bridgewater finds his way back to be the Vikings backup to Kirk Cousins? That would kind of seem to be against yeah. their MO, right? They don't usually have a, a high price backup and they don't tend to, uh, create conflict when they don't have to either. That'd be a, an, an interesting situation to bring in Teddy as the backup to a, 
to Kirk Cousins. Although there, I did see, I, I got an email today. I get all these, you know, like, what are the odds of of so and so landing someplace? And I got one in my inbox today that was like, if Teddy Bridgewater is traded, what are his likely destinations? And the Vikings got odds. I think they were like five or six down, but it was like six to one. He comes to the Vikings. I can't see that being as a backup necessarily, unless it's on like a really low cost deal, um, you know, one year deal. But even that, like, you know, it doesn't make sense to me ultimately, um, unless it says a starter. Well, the, I mean, the, <clears throat> they've had established backups in the past. They have not had one behind Kirk Cousins, but the last time they had one was a fairly significant established backup in the sense that he went from being a guy they thought about cutting in training camp to a guy that took over for Sam Bradford and led them to the NFC Championship game. I mean, that they probably caught lightning in a bottle, but for as much as they talk still about 2017 and wanting to recreate that, that did save them that year, that they had somebody they could at least, that had started games before, and even after a bad preseason was able to shake it off and go out there and play once Sam Bradford got hurt. So the question I would have with Teddy, though, is how would Kirk Cousins respond to that? Because there are certain players that would say, all right, fine, I'm going to show you, and I'm going to stick it back in your face, or you know, whatever body part you want to use. This is a family show, so we'll go with face. But there would be some players, I think, that would take it that way. I don't know if Kirk Cousins is the type to think about it quite that way. It may be something that he doesn't receive as a challenge and, and maybe receives differently than that, especially given Mike Zimmer's feelings about Teddy Bridgewater, which are very well established. Um, I don't think that Zimmer and Cousins have as warm of a relationship as Zimmer and Teddy did. So would that add a weird dynamic to that quarterback room? It, I, I think that would be a consideration there. I, I think Teddy certainly, the, you know, the coaching staff still likes him. Obviously Zim still loves him, but that would, would it be too much like 2017 was where you could tell the entire time Zimmer wanted to get Teddy back out there. And as soon as Keenum spit the bit, then Teddy was going to be the guy, but Keenum just never did. You're saying he wouldn't, you're saying Cousins wouldn't go out and have an MVP season like Aaron Rodgers did when they drafted Jordan Love? I don't know that that would be quite the response. No, I mean, that, that would be the example that is most recent to think of is that, um, it became the, the fuel for, you know, something that when Aaron Rodgers does his own version of the last dance that becomes the, the meme. I took that personally. I took that personally. Yep. Exactly. We have heard from team, I think teammates maybe have said it more than coaches. I can't remember if Zimmer said it too, but you guys remember two years ago, they started two and two. Kirk was coming off that awful game in Chicago. It's when Diggs went AWOL. Um, and then Kirk was named NFC player of the month in October. And everybody kind of said, Oh, he plays better with his back against the wall and he's got an edge to him. All that stuff. That would lend you to believe that he does play better when he's got a fire lit under him. Maybe if that's a way to put you like it. that. You like that? <laughs> I don't know, but you're right. Ben, the biggest thing that I didn't consider is, is the relationship between head coach and quarterback and the one that is already long established between Teddy Bridgewater and Mike Zimmer. And just why do it if, if, like, if you're down to your backup quarterback, you're probably not thinking you got much of a shot anyway. And so why do that for a guy where you could just bring back Sean Mannion? And look, I, I like Teddy. I just don't, I don't think he's as good as Kirk, honestly. I don't think. Yeah, I would agree. I don't, I don't think his ceiling is as high. I, I think he's the kind of guy who 
can manage games. He can go five and zero for the Saints. That's great. This is not this is not the New Orleans Saints right now. So I just don't see. Yeah, Mike, you you had said it's not really their mo, and I, I kind of agree with that. Um, they and plus Teddy's not going to be as cheap as your typical backup quarterback and his contract, if you traded for him, you'd have to restructure it. You can't take that on the way it is right now. And so if you're the Panthers and you're looking to deal him at all, I just don't know why the Vikings would have what it takes to get him, how they would fit him in. And then, yeah, the dynamics beyond the money uh, leaves a lot of questions for that too. And and Paul, the, other, oh, the other piece I would add to that real quickly is the Vikings are going to, I would think in, in any circumstance, be going back to Kirk Cousins after this year and saying, Hey, we need to do something with that deal again. You know, one way or the other, I think, I don't think Kirk Cousins 2022 deal is going to look the way it does now. Either the number changes or the uniform he's wearing, I think will change. So if it's the former and you're trying to get him to restructure that deal, does bringing in the son Mike Zimmer never had as, I mean, he has a son, but the quarterback son Mike Zimmer never had <laughs> as the backup engender the type of goodwill you might need from Kirk Cousins to give you a break the following offseason. I, I, that would seem a bit risky to me. Adam Zimmer is listening to the podcast in tears right Adam, now. Adam, we, we know you are Mike's son. I mean, the quarterbacking sons. Okay. Never had. That makes sense. It, it speaks though to a relationship that my, Zimmer had with Teddy that I didn't even like flinch. When you said that, I thought, yeah, you're 100% right. And I thought, oh yeah, obviously his son coaches for the team. Yeah. Um, all right. We got a question from Andrew asking, not me. Andrew Lowell asks if fans were polled about whether they approve of key members of their favorite franchises, what approval rating would you estimate that Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer, and Kirk Cousins would receive? And then he also wants to know how much does ownership care about? Uh, Mike, like that, what do you think? I like that question. It made me think, I mean, it made me think about how I would grade each of those guys, um, obviously strengths and weaknesses in each case, right? And, you know, good enough that, you know, they've been competitive pretty much every year of the Mike Zimmer coaching regime, pretty much every year that Kirk Cousins has been a starter. His teams, they haven't fallen on their faces, right? But they had this, the ceiling and the floor are too close together in a lot of cases with, with all those guys. Um, I, I, fans evaluating each of these guys, it's a tough one. I'm trying to put myself in. I mean, is it is it the Chicken Fingers fan or is it the different fan? I'm, I'm going to say the average fan would give Zimmer like a six and a half out of ten. I'd say they'd give Spielman like a four and a half and Cousins like a five because there's Kirk, there's Kirk people who like Kirk, there's people who don't like Kirk. I think you're going to arrive right in the middle. I give them each a six, but that's just me. Yeah, I thought this was an interesting question too, because I, I, you see all three of these guys become pretty polarizing on social media to the extent that that's a, a barometer of the fan base. And that's, we can ask that question too, of whether that's a good barometer of the fan base or not. But you have very strong defenders of all three of these guys. And you have people that don't like any of them. So. And it's hard when you don't have trophies or conference championships or, you know, these sort of pelts on the wall that you would want to say, Hey, um, you may not love him right now, but look what he did two years ago or something like that. So it, when you don't have that, you, you sort of lend yourself to that. And these guys play a probably polarizing brand of football in some ways that it's not 
let's have this high tech offense. That's a lot of fun to watch and, and let's do all of the new things. Let's instead go run the ball and play defense. It's not probably quite as appealing to a fan that way. So uh, I thought this was an interesting question too. And, and for a lot of the reasons you laid out, Mike, it's just that you have people on both sides of this that feel very strongly on their side of the issue. Well, Ben, how much do the Wilfs care? <clears throat> I don't know how much they care. I, because, and I say that because the brand has not suffered. They have a brand new stadium that has been full when it's been allowed to be full. They have a practice facility that is very well liked. Um, certainly among players, it's been a quite a jewel for players. And I think as that area gets built out more, they see more money coming into that area from fans spending more time there during training camp to more shopping, entertainment, things going on year round. It doesn't start to matter until the stands aren't full. The ratings go down. Um, they listen to K-Fan a lot. I know that. So if the calls that start coming into K-Fan start to turn, um, that may be a barometer to keep a, an eye on, I guess. Um, I don't know that it matters a ton if the brand is still as strong as it's been. And the reason they have liked this group, I think, is you mentioned it. The the floor is not that low. They have been competitive. They have been relevant. They haven't won championships, but they're not going through three and 13 seasons where people just completely check out. You have people with bags in their heads and the whole thing. Um, The fact that they have been relevant and have given people a reason to hope I think matters a lot to the Wilts. And until that changes, I'm not sure that a segment of the fan base that isn't crazy about these guys is going to be enough to, uh, to do much about it. Now they, they miss the playoffs again. Maybe that changes, but I think uh, the fact that they have stayed relevant is a big part of the reason they're still, all still here. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, let's end here with chicken fingers. It's got a question saying, please name a trade made this offseason. You wish the Vikings would have made. A player that would have addressed a position of need acquired for a price you think was reasonable. Um, I've got a couple, but I'm curious to, to hear what you guys think. Mike, what do you think? Is this a trade another team did make or a hypothetical trade that has not been made yet? Oh, my bad. So it's, yeah, sorry. It's made. Yeah. Please name a trade that was already made this offseason. You wish the Vikings would have made. So I, I misread the question. So yeah, you guys take it from there. I got to think about it. That's a tough one. I mean, I don't know if it's specific trades for offensive line, but that's always been my, you know, that's <laughs> my pet project for the last, you know, how long has this podcast been on 2015? Uh, pretty much every year um, on this podcast, even previous to that, wanting an upgrade on the offensive line. And, you know, and if, if we're being, if we're being honest, there also seemed to be a real moment there where every team seemed to be looking for a quarterback. And there was this kind of frenzy of, of trades going on. I mean, if, listen, I, I, we can think different things about Matthew Stafford and Kirk Cousins. I think they're pretty similar. I think, Andrew, you think Matthew Stafford is maybe a cut above Kirk Cousins. Um, even so, I think they're, they're similar enough that if you look at, you know, the trade that, that was made there, and I don't think structurally it would have made, I don't think structurally the Vikings could have made that same trade. The money wouldn't have worked to bring in Jared Goff and to have you know, all of Kirk Cousins signing bonus still in the books, but if they were able to have made a trade this off season for Kirk with Kirk Cousins and gotten a first round pick out of it to the point that they could have used that capital to move into the top five 
and draft one of those quarterbacks, I wish they would have done that because I think they're just pushing this further down the line. I don't think Kirk Cousins is a bad quarterback. I think he's, you know, in most seasons, he's going to be around the 10th best quarterback in the league. You can be relevant with that. But I think this was the year to strike based on where his contract is. And the fact that they didn't do that is just going to create harder questions going forward. Yeah, to me, that that Stafford deal with the, the Rams, the only end that would have made sense for the Vikings to be on never would have happened because, it, to me, it would have been acquiring Stafford and dumping Cousins, kind of in a way that the Rams dumped Goff and acquired Stafford. But the, the Lions would never, ever trade Stafford within the division. And so it wouldn't matter anyway. But, yeah, that's, that's just because I personally think that Stafford is that much better than Kirk Cousins. Um, and the Vikings, though, I don't know how much they think quarterback is their number one problem right now. Uh, ben, what did you think about the play? Well, the the one that that Trent Brown going for a, a day three pick, I guess, sticks out to me a little bit as it would have been, is he the answer at tackle? I don't know if he is, but it would have at least provided some stability there, which is more than they have right now at at tackle. So you could, I could have seen something like that. I mean, the one that they still could make that we should probably address is Orlando Brown. They have sniffed around on that and, I think it's still possible they can get something done there. That would probably mean swapping first-round picks with the Ravens and then throwing in something else, I think, to get that done. But if they could get that and he's your left tackle, I I would do that personally. I think they need to fix that spot. The Cousins thing has been talked about a lot. And I, I this this is one of those things. In this time of year, I think we always have to split the what the Vikings should do and the what the Vikings will do. And the the – I think the problem I've had with that one is I see my job first and foremost as telling fans what I think the Vikings will do based on my reporting and my knowledge of the team. And I never thought there was a chance they were going to trade Kirk Cousins. Should they have done it? If they felt like Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Trey Lance may slip far enough that they can ask themselves this question anyway. But if you think that, one of those guys is good enough to be your guy. I think you have to think about it because that first contract in the NFL for a quarterback that can play is a cheat code. It is, you see it every year. You saw the 49ers get to a Super Bowl with it. Even though Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't been that great, the Rams did the same thing. You've had a lot of quarterbacks, the Seahawks, even back in the Russell Wilson days. When you have quarterbacks on cheap contracts that are playing at the starting level, you see what the market cost is for that. It's what the Vikings had to pay Kirk Cousins. That's the market cost for a good quarterback. So if you are instead paying that guy $4 million instead of 30, there's a lot you can do with the rest of your roster. And I, it's the same reason the Packers, I think, are flirting very seriously with dumping the league MVP in a year because they want that rookie deal with Jordan Love for at least a couple of years. So should they have done that? I think there's an argument if you feel like you could get your guy for the next 10 years. But the problem with that always becomes, as we see with Carson Wentz and, and guys like that this offseason, these highly drafted quarterbacks don't always pan out. So I think they thought, let's stick with the sure thing. We at least know what we're going to get, and let's try to make it work from there. Yeah, and there were other quarterback trades. You brought up Carson Wentz. Like, that's not a move. I don't think anybody thought the Vikings should have made because of the contract and where he was at as a player. And then um, Mitchell Trubisky getting de- – didn't he get dealt or was he a free agent? I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, there's just no reason. There were no quarterbacks. They brought the red that- rifle. That's right. There were no quarterbacks that I saw, though, that you think, oh, gosh, they should have went out and got him. 
Um, there is one though that's maybe available via trade, and we haven't had a jort wearing quarterback in quite a while. But oh, Gardner, you, you love this dude, man. Gardner Minshew in purple would look pretty good. Would look pretty good. Purple jorts. Yep. <laughs> hey, rookie contract, Ben. What you just got done talking about? A guy who showed he can. He's got some game as a starter. Why not bring a guy in like that, young guy? The problem is that the Jaguars are saying we've got this hot commodity, um, not just because of the jorts. We've got this hot commodity that we don't want to move on from just because he's on a rookie deal and it's so cheap. Why move him? I'm guessing the price to get him wouldn't be as cheap as you would think it would. I can think of one other quarterback who has been photographed in George during his day and I'm the one complaining. <laughs> Draft night, baby. Full circle. Yep. Bring him in. Bring him in. <laughs> 30 years ago, believe it or not. That was. Yeah. We're old. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other, uh, any other trades out there you guys want to see? No. And, and to, and to clarify too, like I don't, I, I, I don't think quarterback is the Vikings biggest problem. It just feels like we were, they were in a, a, a certain window where if, if that was going to happen, there seemed like there was a market. There was enough teams that were like, Oh, what are we going to do with this musical chairs happening? But if you felt strongly enough that you combine your number 14 pick with whatever else you could get in a trade for Kirk Cousins, that maybe you could hit reset, kind of give Mike Zimmer more money to spend on the defense and have your cheap, uh, you know, your cheap first round pick quarterback, just give him the, give him the keys for four years and see what happens. All right, guys, that'll be it for this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Please check out startribune.com for all of our work and we will be back on draft week with a bunch of episodes to get you ready. Maybe you should get off the podcast.